We are going through the book of Ruth, so today we're in Ruth chapter 2, the second part, verses 13 to 23. Johnny uh, did the last, the first part with us last week. Has anyone ever experienced where, you know, you're going through something, you're, it's a hard time, and then you get a word? Maybe it's not a word from somebody, you're reading a scripture, or maybe you listen to something, or you just feel like, man, God has not forgotten me. And you are excited, you are ready to go, life is coming back into you, and then nothing happens after that. Yes. Well, if you've been around long enough, this has probably happened. That's what we're going to be talking about today. From hope to waiting is what I've titled our sermon today. When I was leaving Resurrection and winding my time there at, down at my previous church, pastored there for several years, and uh, as it, we, we kind of started walking through um, the end of my tenure at that church, I began to pray, God, what, what is next? And it became very clear to me the next stage of what I was going to be doing, what God had called kind of me and my family to, was planting a church. I got really excited about it. I was ready to blast it from the rooftops, tell everybody. And uh, in that same moment, I felt like I was not supposed to tell anybody. And so I was very excited. God had been very clear what was going to happen next. And then nothing happened for a year. I didn't tell anybody. Maybe three or four people knew. And one of those people God had told I didn't tell. And I just worked my job. I was attending a different church. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't doing any ministry. I was just tending to my family. At that time, I just had Judah to my wife and living life as normal. And that happened, as I said, for a year. But did that change what God had said was going to happen? That didn't change. I had been very excited. And then I began to wonder. And I thought, who knows what's going to happen? But every day when I prayed, God, is it time? God said, no, it's not time. And that was the space that I lived in for that year, knowing that God was not done with my story. There was a next chapter, but I wasn't sure when that was going to happen, how it was going to happen. And sometimes I wondered if it was going to happen, but I knew what God wanted to do. Last week in our text in Ruth chapter 2, Boaz found out about Ruth. Now, if, you're, if you've been following along, uh, Ruth had went to go glean to get food for her and Naomi, because Naomi's husband has died, Ruth's husband, Naomi's son has died, her other son also passed away, and then her other daughter-in-law left and went back to the land of the Moabites. But Ruth clung to Naomi, went with her back to her land, and then followed her and then began went to the field of Boaz to go glean from the field. This is what poor widows would do. They would go to the fields, and people would leave wheat for them. This is part of the law. And they would pick it up, 
and they would bring it home, and that was their food, that was their sustenance. And so Ruth goes to the field, she starts gleaning, and she finds in Boaz an incredibly generous person where he begins to give way more than what was required of him by the law to give to her as a widow. And so we're picking up here in the middle of this dialogue of what is going on between Boaz and Ruth in verse 13. See, Ruth wasn't sure why this was happening. Why was Boaz being so kind to her? Why was Boaz caring so well for her? And so Ruth says to Boaz in verse 13, you can read along in your sheets, it says, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Ruth is saying, thank you. Even though I didn't deserve what you did for me, thank you for what you did. In verse 14, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz's generosity just continues to extend. It goes farther and farther and farther. Now he's feeding her for lunch. He, even, he, he gives her some dipping sauce. That's what the wine was for at that moment. That wasn't wine that he had that they would drink. It was too bitter, but they would have hard bread. And so when they would put it in the wine to loosen it up and to add some spice and some flavor to it. So Heather would have loved this. She, she dips in every single sauce imaginable. There's always like 15 sauces open whenever we're having dinner. And so Boaz now is giving her extra wheat, giving her some food, giving her some dipping sauce, giving her some lunch, saying, come eat with us. And then he tells his people, don't rebuke her, don't be mad at her, let her do what she wants and give her more than enough. So verse 17, so she gleaned in the field into evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, this is Naomi, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth came back with what scholars believe to be 30 to 50 pounds of wheat, which like Ruth is a G for being able to carry 30 to 50 pounds of wheat back home that day. But that was, that was a lot of wheat that she was able to take back home. This was going to feed them for a while. And so Ruth at this point is just thinking some random stranger was incredibly kind to her, incredibly generous to her because of what he had heard about what she had done. But Naomi asked the question, who did this for you? I've never seen this before. I've never heard of this before. What kind of generosity did this person have? And so Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers or kinsmen redeemers. So it turns out Naomi knows Boaz. He's actually related to them. He's a relative in the family that can fix everything that went wrong with Naomi's life and what is going wrong with Ruth's life. See, they had this custom and thing that they would do back then. And you see Jesus speaks to this when the Sadducees come to Jesus and they, they say to him, they're trying to disprove the afterlife and they're trying to disprove the resurrection of the dead. And so the Sadducees, they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Jesus, tell us this thing because there's, there's this law in Deuteronomy 25 that if a brother gets married to a woman and then the brother dies, it's now on the next brother in line. It, the responsibility is on him to then marry that woman so that the lineage of the family can continue on. And so the Sadducees come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, tell me now, let's say a brother gets married to a woman and he dies. And so his next brother marries uh, that woman and then he dies. And then there were seven brothers and each one in turn marries this woman and they all die. When the woman dies, when she goes to heaven, who will she be married to? They thought this was an incredibly logical argument to ask Jesus. They caught him in a snare, and Jesus just caps them with one, and I love it. Because he goes, you fools. <laughs> like, there is no marriage in heaven. And what do you think? That God is the God of the dead? When you talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do you think you're talking about the God of the dead? No, you're talking about the God of the living. Yes, there is a resurrection. And no, your logical argument makes no sense because you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to after earthly life. And so that same concept is at play here where Naomi lightens up and she's like, oh my goodness, there's somebody in the clan that can save our lineage, that can save our last name, that can bring redemption to us. They literally would name it, he was the redeemer, would be the redeemer of the family. And so she sparks up here and gets really excited because she sees a pathway for restoration of what she thought was completely lost. So... To finish out here, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest another in the field, lest when you are in the field you would be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi agrees that she should keep going to Boaz and keep going to his field, lest something bad happen in another person's field. This makes sense. This man, Boaz, is incredibly generous. He told everybody to keep watch over her and to make sure that nothing bad happened to her and to give her more than what was appropriate for everybody else to get. But then what I love is you, you I kind of like to imagine here, you start to see the schemings of a mom about how she's going to get her daughter married. 
You know, she's like, yeah, make sure you go. You're going to be safe there. But as you read more and more, as we read on in the text, you see what Naomi is doing here is she starts scheming about how she's going to get Ruth married. She, she wants Ruth to stay in close. She sees hope coming alive for the first time. She sees some redemption happening in her family. The, the things that have been said about her in her own life, the things that she had proclaimed over herself just in the previous chapter, where Naomi meant pleasant, she had said, call me bitter because of what has happened to me. Call me bitter because I've lost everything. I went full from the land of Israel to the land of the Moabites, and I come back empty. Change my name because there's bitterness in my soul. All is lost. I have been forsaken. But yet here, the hope, the restoration, she sees a way out where she is no longer lost, no longer bitter, no longer sad. Naomi makes this incredibly big turnaround And I think what you see in our life, as I was reading this text, I thought about how often we are so quick to lose faith. How often we are so quick to call it quits. Right? And it is really, it is a, a byproduct of our society today. Because in our society today, we are about one thing. And that is the quick fix. The quick turnaround. I remember when Amazon Prime Now started. Anybody remember this? When they, they built their warehouse in just a few, I think, literally across the street. And they started this thing where you will get any package you want in two hours. And me and Heather were so blown away by this, we ordered something for $10, just like a little toy for the kids, just to see if it would actually come in, 10 hour, in two hours. And it came in an hour and 15 minutes. And this, like, just changed, like, how we thought of perspective around things. It was, it was wild. And so, like, every day, instead of me, like, putting on my shoes and walking to the bodega up the block or to Rite Aid... What happened is I was like, oh, you can just order it on Prime now. It'll be here in less than two hours. And it was coming. Now, Amazon soon found out this was not a good business model. They hadn't figured out all the kinks and stopped this. And they only started doing it with food delivery. But there was a time, it was like a six-month window, where almost everything in the Amazon warehouse was available within two hours. It was wild. So now you can get pretty much everything next day or same day, but... Amazon's goal is to get you everything as soon as possible to make you buy as much as possible from them. Right now, they've, every company is testing drone deliveries because that's how they can get everything to you within an hour. You know, put it in a drone, pick it up into the air, drop it off at your doorway. I remember when Netflix first came out. Uh, this was before there was a streaming service uh, around. It was you, you told them what DVDs you wanted, and they mailed it to you overnight, and it came in packets of three. And you couldn't get a new DVD until you returned one, two, or all three of your DVDs, and then they would refill your DVD stack so you only had three at a time. Right? I don't know. Some people don't remember that. It's okay. Some of you do. Uh, and I remember uh, when that would happen that I would – 
I didn't subscribe to Netflix. It didn't make sense to me at the time because I thought I can just take a five-minute walk to Blockbuster and get whatever DVD I want rather than wait a whole 24 hours. Like, that required planning that I was not wanting to do in my life. Like, what what movie am I going to watch next Friday? No, I was only thinking about what movie I was going to watch right now in the next 20 minutes. And so I I thought Netflix was going to tank. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world because who wants to wait 24 hours for your movie when you can literally – there used to be a blockbuster on 81st Street and 3rd Avenue. Now it's an incredibly expensive supermarket that I don't go to. Uh, But back then – it was blockbuster, so I would just take the walk on 3rd Avenue, go pick up, you know, whatever the hot movie was. You remember on the blockbuster aisles, it was like, you're looking behind everyone, hoping that there was one there that you can pull out and take home with you. Uh, but sometimes you had to settle for the second pop, most popular movie that weekend because everybody got to it before you did. But that is indicative of the world that we live in, that it is all about how quickly can I be gratified. It is why porn has taken up so much airways in the internet. If you look at like the top most, uh, ten most uh, gone-to websites in the world, three of them, I believe, are porn websites. Why? Because it is instant gratification. Why is it that most married men and women struggle with porn? Because rather than go through the hard process of talking with somebody and going sometimes through uh, actually being with somebody... You may have to have conversations you don't want. You may have to um, be in the presence of someone you don't want, right? It requires conversation. Why not just open up a porn website and make it go quick, make it go easy? I don't have to involve anybody else. Why? Because this is the quick fix generation. This is what makes it. This is what has made us tick. And so now we have tech companies that their main goal is to provide as many dopamine hits as possible, as quick as possible, so that we can be as gratified as quickly as possible. And this is the world that we live in. And so what happens is, when God, who is not on our timeline... Many times does not do things quickly, but works through processes. Who discipleship and abiding in him is less about a quick altar call experience and more about a daily meditation, a process, doesn't do something on our timeline, what happens? taking you so long, God. I don't know if you're going to do this. I don't know if I could trust in you. This is taking too long. I had faith in you. You said you were going to do this. But now I don't know. Where you at, God? You know what will gratify me tonight? Some Netflix. You know what will gratify me some tonight? Whatever it is that I want to go to. We are so used to experiencing hope for a reality and being able to gratify that hope immediately that we fall into the trap that Naomi fell in. But when Naomi fell into that, 
we understood she lost her husband and two sons. Nobody would, nobody would complain. Right there, there is time where it's like that's understandable. But what I have noticed is we go to the same level of Naomi's grieving for maybe one one hundredth of Naomi's problem. Because what we have done is we have become so used to the immediate gratification that we have put that standard on God. And we have said, God, you better work as fast as Apple and Amazon and Facebook does. Because if you don't, I'm out. Because I have found other gods that will gratify me quicker. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody over here. My Lord. <laughs> See, what happens here in this text, Naomi gets so excited about something here. She, gets, she, she says, my Lord, you met Boaz. Let me tell you about Boaz. See, Boaz, he, he's related to us. He's part of the clan. Ruth, you don't know what you stumbled on. He, he, is, he is our relative. He's one of our redeemers. Basically, she said the same thing twice. She was really excited. She was bringing this point home because do you understand that everything that we've gone through the last year, everything that we've been mulling over, everything I accused God of, everything that I, I thought went wrong in our life, there's hope now. Something can happen. Something is going to change. I sense it. I know it. You've got to keep going to that field, Ruth. That's, that's the best field. You're going to be safe there, Ruth. You've got to make sure that you're going just glean from that field for now on. Just go there for now on. But then what happens in verse 23 that I have always glossed over this verse every single time I read Ruth. It says this, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, Ruth, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Ordinary life. After all this hope, all this excitement, Ruth, for months, just went to her job every day. And she did her job, first with the wheat harvest, then with the barley harvest. And I've always just, I never thought much about this. But it really struck me as I was going through this text, because this text is all about the, the beginnings of hope. And how often have I had the beginnings of hope, but God didn't gratify that desire immediately in my eyes began to wander to the left or to the right. God, if you're not going to gratify this right away, then maybe that will. Maybe she will. Maybe he will. Maybe that paycheck will. Maybe this substance will. But Ruth just goes on faithfully doing her job. You ever treasure a word that God gave you? You just, I love it if you read the beginnings of Luke with Mary. It says this a few times, that everything that was said about Jesus, she took it and stored it and treasured it in her heart. Right? This, these were words about Jesus, that he was going, what he was going to be like when he got older. And Mary, as, as the mother, just stored those things in her heart. She knew what Jesus was going to grow up to be. And just treasured those things. Instead of treasuring the hope of God, many times we try to fulfill that desire through worldly means, 
through our means. But what is beautiful here is the ordinary life. See, sometimes we get caught up that if our life is not extraordinary every day, then we are failing. And I used to think this was an ambition put on me by the scriptures. But the older I've gotten, the more I've realized this is an ambition put on me by the world that I have put on the scriptures. And what Ruth is, if it is anything, it is how God will work through the ordinary. Through the ordinary suffering of life. Through the ordinary work of life. Through the ordinary doings of life. And in that, what you don't understand and what you don't know is that who Ruth had met was the great, great, great grandfather of David the king and the great, 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 so on and so on, father of Jesus of the Messiah. And that Ruth... The simple act of being loyal to Naomi and going with her, what she did at that moment is if you read the lineage of Jesus, there are only three, line- there are only three women that make it to the lineage of Jesus. When you read the gospel accounts and you see, you know, this person begot this person, this person begot that person, there are three women. All three of those women are Gentile women. It is Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. Go read Tamar and Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Tamar, probably a little too provocative to talk about today. You go read it yourself in Genesis, not ready to get into it. And Ruth. Three Gentile women that, because of them, they saved the lineage. And God worked his plan through these three ordinary women just being faithful to what they knew was right. And because of that, their names live on in infamy forever. See, I've been thinking about a lot of the Christian experience in America lately. And it has become a side product of the consumer industry. How do I gratify you and your hope for freedom, your hope for deliverance, your hope for power, your hope for fame, your hope for platform, as fast as possible, as much as possible. And so we have developed a system around, when we think of freedom, when we think of deliverance, what do we think of? I know growing up, I thought of an altar call. I thought of a retreat. I never thought of the daily discipline of being with Jesus, even when I sin. That's too much work, to be honest. I never thought of being faithful to my word and faithful to the things that God has called me to do, like my job and my family. That's too much. God, 
What do you have that's better for me, that's bigger, that's cooler? I want to change the world. Do you know, Paul, we idolize and we fantasize about Paul's life in the church nowadays, and we, we, we call him things like an itinerant evangelist. And when we do that, people, like people on TBN come to mind where they're preaching in stadiums and you know, people are falling out all over the place and there's just like major things happening. No, when you read about Paul, he says that he, the, the apostles were the most despised and the most made fun of people in the world at that time. This man was not traveling first class on an airplane from Rome to Athens and living up his life and going to five-star hotels so that he can, with his Rolls Royce, go preach the gospel. That was not what Paul was doing. Paul would roll up into a new city, get beaten, spit on, half to death, get thrown out, maybe imprisoned for years for the gospel. And his hope was not a better life here on earth. His hope was Jesus and the crown of life in eternity. And when, what happens when we live for the ordinary, when we live for the, the immediate gratification, when that is our reward, Jesus says over and over again in the, Gospels of, in the Gospel of Matthew that when you receive a reward for what you've done on earth, that is your reward. But when you do not receive your reward on earth, when those things are stored up for you in heaven, the reward there that is given to you is non-perishable. It is eternal, First Peter says. It will not be eaten by moth or rust. It will never be destroyed. It is greater. And so some of us, we have been given hope by a scripture. We have been given hope for a turnaround in our life. And when that hope is not immediately gratified, when we do not immediately go home and say, I am now different forever, but the same things come into our life, maybe the same despair, maybe that same bitterness, instead of going about the ordinary life and living what God has called us to do in obedience, we turn away. We look elsewhere and we think God is not on his throne. But I want you to walk away with this. Abraham was first promised a son at 75 years old. That son did not come until he was 99. It's 24 years he waited. Faithfully living out his ordinary life as a shepherd. And then he was shearing sheep. He was walking around with his staff. He was managing his land. I pray that as we go through this book in the ordinary life, we see the ordinary things of suffering the ordinary things of hope, 
that there's one thing that we would keep constant in our lives. And that is to keep focused on Christ. You may have read a promise in Scripture that was not fulfilled yet in your life. You may have been told something or God put something in your heart that one day will happen. But it hasn't yet. My encouragement to you today is don't lose sight. Begin to enjoy the ordinary life of being present with where you are. And allow God to do his thing. Can you stand with me? We cannot allow today's culture of the immediate warp our view of God's timing. Father, I pray Lord, I know there are many here that are struggling with the hope of the gospel and the reality of their life. There are many listening that are struggling with the hope of the gospel and the reality of their life. Lord, but I know you are faithful. You are faithful. And you work in the ordinary things of our life. Help us to go well. From hope to waiting. That in that process. That we wouldn't become bitter. That we wouldn't curse you and the ones around us nor our life, but Father, that we would wait well. Knowing that the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, does not disappoint, does never fail us. And is here for power unto salvation. As we worship there's going to be a few of the people on our prayer team in the back that will be ready to pray with you. If you need prayer for any reason, whether it's something in this sermon that hit you or something going on in your life, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer while we worship.